Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I hope this finds you well as we enter our third week of Lent in our theme of tuning in. And uh, today we will continue in John chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole text um, because there's like 37 verses, but I'll read the first um, 15 or so um, as we jump into the story. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. So a few things um, in terms of the context within uh, this chapter and within the story. Um, So we've talked frequently about the differences culturally between Samaritans and Jews, um, and Jesus often is seeing as crossing these bounds, um, and he does so in two ways. One, um, the cultural difference between Samaritans and Jews, but then also um, in gender. And so he's talking to a woman who is of a different cultural background in which it would not have necessarily been appropriate, especially in public, to also be addressing um, this woman. And so he goes um, and crosses these lines and sees her and and calls attention um, to her life and to who she is. And I really appreciate that even within this text, he talks about and says, you know, Jesus was tired out by his journey. Um, and just humanizes him here in this moment, uh, that he's thirsty, that he needs water. Um, 
sorry, Cusco is doing his own thing and doesn't care that I'm recording a podcast right now. Um, so if you hear him, sorry about it. And um, he also is going out in the middle of the heat of the day and asks for a drink. It says it's about noon. And she would have been going to the well in the heat of the day to get water because she would have wanted to avoid running into others who would kind of look down on her and see her as as broken or tossed aside because of the context of her relationships. So in summary, this is significant. Uh, One, he's talking to a woman in public. Two, this woman is Samaritan, where he's a Jew. Um, And similar to Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus last week, uh, Jesus is going on the seemingly tangential point about a metaphorical water. Um, Then he's calling all of her skeletons out of the closet and makes them known. And finally, at the end of uh, this part of the passage that I pull out, um, the Samaritan woman challenges Jesus to clarify kind of an ancient dispute. Um, She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And this is going back to the Samaritans believed that the proper place to worship God was on this mountain. Uh, whereas uh, the Jews believe that the proper place to worship would be in uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And so she's kind of calling him out and drawing him out into this dispute. And he, again, kind of proclaims a third place, a third place or a third way, um, that it'll be neither here nor there. Um, And he makes this third way known that God is not contained to either physical place, which their cultures had contained God to, Um, And so just as in the cleansing of the temple, Jesus is pointing towards a new age where sacredness uh, overflows conventional bounds um, and also ends up in reconciliation between kind of these quote-unquote cultural enemies. So between last week and this week, we see that in the previous chapter, Nicodemus, a knowledgeable Jew in good standing, he comes under the dark of night to question Jesus. And even with Jesus explaining and explaining, he doesn't get it. Meanwhile, the Samaritan woman, who is both ethnically and theologically different or um, kind of culturally lower uh, to Jews, she gets what Jesus is about. Um, not at first, but she, she follows through. And I think it's a great point to lift up as we just celebrated National Women's Day how holy it is to recognize that the Samaritan woman at the well um, was uh, one of the first to really hear Christ reveal this identity. Um, And so I think sometimes, or something we assume or is often assumed about these kind of passages, that Jesus shows up and loves slash offers grace and mercy to these instigators in spite of their shortcomings and obvious crimes against the status quo. But what if the thing that Jesus is drawing out, or maybe even critiquing, is less about these quote-unquote unsavory acts and more about our feeling of needing to hide certain parts of ourselves? And an important additional comment to make is why does this woman have a history of five husbands, right? There is a very good chance um, that this woman was either suffering abuse um, or had been widowed five times over. Um, 
because culturally she did not have rights and she did not have the option of choosing all of these husbands. And so I started questioning kind of this traditional interpretation, um, which I mentioned of saying, you know, she was, you know, making these choices and we make these assumptions about uh, why she had these relationships. Um, You know, even in U.S. society, women haven't had these rights until a relatively short time ago. And in many cultures, uh, they still don't. And this includes the right to have a say in who you marry, the right to initiate divorce, all of those things. And so if we understand that she is probably either a widow five times over and even now has to uh, seek refuge in the household of a man who won't even give her that status, um, she could be, you know, living in shame. Um, and in those days, it would have been understood that if you endured multiple tragedies, God must be punishing you for something. But when Jesus speaks to her, he doesn't place blame or judgment. Um, he just calls it out into uh, the open. And so not only um, was this a certain kind of acceptance, uh, which for her would have been probably a complete surprise based on the cultural differences, um, he offers an extension of himself across these bounds. Um, I think sometimes and we need to process that as um, the universal Christ offers acceptance to this woman, um, sometimes I think we forget that we need to offer acceptance to all the versions of ourselves that have come before the one that we are present in right now. Um, I think we also have to liberate ourselves from playing the game of making ourselves as palatable as possible for other people, right? And that's kind of what she would have been doing in this moment, feeling this pressure um, to make herself as palatable as possible. And so I think we, um, as Christ has, are called to tune in to loving, not in spite of, but in the middle of ourselves. And that includes the changes that we go through, um, right? That I am not the version of myself five years ago, three years ago, even a year ago. Um, And sometimes there is a little bit of of grief in those changes, but there's also a lot of beauty. And it's um, important to thank those previous versions of ourselves for getting us to this place in our life. Um, As I've been going through my ordination process, I've become much more acquainted with the Disciples of Christ history and identity. And one common phrase sticks out to me. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And one thing I appreciate about the kind of theological location of the disciples of Christ, and the, the way that they operate, is that there's so few quote-unquote essentials <laughs> uh, that you have to agree to to be in the space. In fact, Mission Hills goes even beyond that to say there's no... Um, real essential outside of respect for one another and holding space together and trying to be as authentic as we possibly can. Um, But there is so much beauty in the diversity of how we might think about this particular story um, or how it applies to our lives. Um, And that's the thing, I think we're not all tuning in to necessarily the same thing in this season. And it's with all those different perspectives that we get these different readings um, 
that might kind of break open a new understanding um, that is, is really helpful. So I don't know if y'all remember the days before Spotify. Um, yes, I do. I promise. Um, I'm not that young, <laughs> but I uh, was remembering this week the days of road tripping and having to listen to the radio. I know, gasp. Um, but we'd start listening, uh, especially growing up when I did not have control over the radio. Let's just say that. Uh, but we would start listening to Caleb on 94.3 in the Chicago area. But as we would drive out further, the quality of the sound would start to get fuzzy. And we'd have to tune into another number to find the equivalent of Caleb in another area. So we're looking for the same thing. But where we found it was different depending on the location that we were in. And in my head, I kind of see this as our journey through Lent in tuning in. And as we are tuning into one particular thing, it simultaneously means we're tuning out of a lot of other things. So perhaps we're tuning out the untruths, the lies about ourselves, as we're tuning into the things that are most true, most loving, most affirming, and most divine within ourselves. We have to adjust the signal as we're changing location in our journey, whether that's the physical, emotional, or theological one. And so the same channel won't work for you for your whole life. So how are you being invited to shift in this time? I recently received my copy of Ariel Astoria's new book, The Unfolding, and in it she shares stories and poetry of her own journey in and through deconstruction um, and just some really raw moments of her life. And I think that this has been kind of a uniting thread through this alternative reading of the Samaritan's Woman's story, our journey through our Lent theme, and I think where we find ourselves in general as we try to make sense of what we believe about the world in face of anti-trans legislation, police brutality, the continuation of the effects of the pandemic, and so much more. Our understanding of the divine has had a change with these revelations of the world as we try to figure out how to be good humans to one another and to ourselves. And so Lent follows this path of calling, fracturing, descending, suffering, and emerging, as Ryan has shared before. And Ariel's book and journey uh, through the unfolding follows a similar pattern, as she titles them, The Awakening, The Eclipsing, the mending, the illuminating, and the returning. I'll go into a little more detail um, on Sunday, but I highly recommend her book, and I'll share um, one of her poems that I really think helps illuminate this theme of tuning into our own changes as we also explore different sides of the biblical text and our journey through Lent. I'll also share um, a couple of additional ones on the website and our social media, uh, that have just really hit home for me, and I hope that they connect with you as well. Um, but I want to say, again, there are so many important ways in which we can reframe this text that, you know, goes into also not blaming um, the victim. And uh, I think sometimes we need to build in more space uh, for the ways in which the text has been used to do just that um, before. But let me read um, her poem called Shapeshifter. 
When your voice begins to shift, do not be afraid which way it moves. Do not be alarmed at the way it dives deeper into a core you didn't know existed. Do not be alarmed how it wakes you up, shakes up the depths of you, or how it allows you to find God even still in all the mess and all the questions. How could we ever assume that God was not God amidst the mess, soul deep with us in the questions, as if my God was afraid to get her hands a little dirty, does not meet me in the wondering, what if who you are and who you were are competing for the whole of you? You cannot live on a balance beam of being two humans. You're allowed to change and grow as time allows. You have permission to be who you want to be in all the shapes in which you'll become. May you learn to embrace the rhythm of change. May you learn to shift with it. Sometimes the shifting feels like the breaking. But love, breathe deeply. This is the shaping. So with all of that said, um, I'm excited to explore this alternative version and understanding of this one story and what it teaches us about the divine and our own stories. I hope you can join us for Sunday um, for worship and conversation together um, as we are all shaped and as we all unfold. Um, that our, our changes don't have to be for applause or for external validation, um, but they can also just be uh, true to ourselves. And I hope um, in all those things, um, we can help support each other as we unfold. So, as always, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life. You are not breaking, you are not broken, you are unfolding. You are not breaking, you are